0: Today, in case you didn't hear Aaron as he was making his announcements, we'll be talking about a mature topic. That's why we are uh, making sure we're offering class for those uh, 11 and under. If you haven't availed yourself parents of that class and you would like to, feel free to do so. And no one is going to um, struggle with any interruption. If you are a parent and you have your children in here, we are not judging you. And that is your prerogative as a parent, whether you feel your children are ready to hear about sex or not. So um, please feel free to keep them in and please feel free to take the kids out as well, whatever God is leading you to do as a parent. So uh, we are talking this morning about sex, not because it is a popular topic or because it is trendy or because we're trying to get likes on our YouTube page. Um, we're, we're talking about this topic of sex because it's important to God. It matters to God, but also because it is the next passage in our study in the book or the letter to the Corinthians. So um, please turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 6. We're working our way through the letter to the Corinthians. We believe that God's word is inspired. And it's for us, not just back in that day, but it's for us today. And and it's been neat to see as a church how, as we've been walking through this letter to the Corinthians, this has applied to us in a relevant way as well. And I believe that God has that for us today too. So let's listen to God's holy inspired word. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 12 through 20. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful Father, I pray that you would use me in my weakness, that you would use this otherwise humanly weak means of of speaking, that you would use this to affect our hearts and minds, Lord. Would you use this to transform us? Father, I pray that that you would... Help us live in a way in our bodies that is worshiped to you, that you would enable us to have a greater appreciation of the fact that our bodies are temples and, and our bodies are designed for you to worship you. And God, I pray that you would help all of us hear your words for us today. By your Holy Spirit, make this word alive to us, Lord, and empower us to hear, empower me to preach. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, according to a August 2019 study by the the Institute for Family Studies, between the ages of 15 to 17, 26% of all those who claim to be evangelical Protestants, people who profess to believe like we do, of all people who profess those core tenets, 15 to 17... Have had sex outside of marriage. Of 15 to 17 year olds, 44% of professing evangelicals regularly attending church have engaged in in some kind of direct sexual activity with their bodies. 65% of all evangelical Christians between 18 and 22 have had sex. 74% of those unmarried, 18 to 22, have engaged in some form of sexual activity. According to an an August 2020 poll, this is in the Pew Research, just last year, half of professing Christians say casual sex, defined in the survey as sex between consenting adults who are not in a committed romantic relationship, is sometimes or always acceptable. Those things might shock you. But we need to talk openly and frankly about the topic of sexual immorality and about sex because the Bible does. Because God cares about what we do. Not because God is a prude, because God doesn't want us to be happy or enjoy good things. It's completely the reverse. But there is a misunderstanding about sex and the place of sex in the Christian church. There's a good good belief that Uh, Probably half of this congregation in some way had sex outside of marriage. Sex, it's everywhere in our culture. Our culture seems to draw its identity in relationship to sex and sexual desires. And and everywhere around you, sex seems to sell, right? It's it's used to sell everything from clothes to appliances to automobiles. Our society believes wrongly that, that what you desire defines you. That your sexual desires define who you are, that they control you. Our society is, is captivated, it's, it's enslaved under the authority of, of this misunderstanding of what we were meant for. Now, in addressing this, as we, if, hopefully, if you've been with us as we've been walking through uh, the letter to the Corinthians, and I know it got really quiet here because we're talking about a topic that we typically don't talk openly about in church, but Paul's addressing this, God's addressing this, so we're addressing this. But if you've noticed, as we've gone through the letter to the Corinthians, it's not the most important sin. It's not the first thing that Paul addressed. One of the first things that Paul addresses is that they're proud, they're arrogant, and he addresses a whole host of other sins. And, and last week we saw that he addressed people who were suing each other. They were not reconciling. And they, they were denying the fact they have been reconciled in Christ and they were acting like they haven't been and relating to each other that way. And Paul, he is addressing, though, many important sins. And now he's gotten to this sin. But, but as we're entering into it, we need to understand that this is not the most important sin in Christianity, okay? This is not the most important sin to address. Pride... I believe is probably one of the key sins we need to address, arrogance, especially how we talk about this topic with other people, with believers as well. And then all throughout the letter, he is gonna talk about the lack of love that the Corinthians have for each other. And it's gonna culminate with chapter 13, which is known as the love chapter, but that chapter really is about correcting their wrong ideas about love. They think they're mature, but they're really not loving, so they're not mature is what he tells them. In the midst of things, you look at last week, we we talked about they were suing each other, but then he lists a whole categories of sins. And and in the midst of they're suing each other, they're also greedy and idolatrous, they're stealing. We shouldn't take any of those sins lightly that he has corrected them for. But this topic of sexual sin, Paul is telling us, it it is a little unique because it affects our very personhood. And so let's look back at the previous verses. If you'll go back in your Bibles, if you have a Bible this morning, I'd encourage you, um, you're you're gonna need your Bibles. We we, we encourage you to bring your Bibles. Check what we are saying against the scriptures. But look back just a couple verses prior to this. In verse 11, he says, and such were some of you. Let's not be self-righteous. Let's not act like we are pure and holy on our own. Let's, let's, let's understand that the reality is that all of us have sins of some kind. All of us have some of those sins he's listing in, in verses nine to 11. So let's not be arrogant, let's not be condescending, let's, let's deal with each other and with other people who are struggling with any manner of sin, whether it is greed or idolatry or sexual immorality, with the same measure of Grace. Let's help care for each other. Let's welcome people in the church who are struggling with sin, who come to our church. May they find help and patience and mercy and grace and kindness and healing and forgiveness and redemption because you know what? All of us need that. All of us struggle with some form of sin and sometimes uniquely because it affects our bodies uniquely, Christians can think this is the worst sin. That's not what Paul's doing here. All of us need God's grace to find healing and redemption and freedom. Now, now most of us know, most Christians know that sex outside of God's ordained covenant relationship of marriage, it's not right that it's sin, but often I believe Christians have no good motivation to not sin in this area other than don't do it, God says no. Now that, should, that is good enough that God commands us like that, but, but God knows that we need a a good motivation, a good understanding of who we are, who we're meant to be, our very purpose made in the image of God, and Paul knows that as well. And so Paul, he doesn't just give a prohibition here. He doesn't just say, okay, okay Christians in the church of Corinth, okay, Christians anywhere, I hear you're sinning sexually, stop it. I hear you're engaged in fornication, I hear you're engaged in homosexuality, I hear you're engaged in, in pornography and all those other things. He say, stop it. That's, we need motivation for why and how. How do we think about ourselves? Because how we think about ourselves, how we think about other people, it affects how we live, right? In fact, often when a commandment is given with no grace to obey that commandment, it's even more tempting to sin. That's what Paul said in, in, in Romans 7, 9. He says, he says, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death for me, he says, for sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. And so what do we see in this passage here? It's not just a prohibition. Paul's not being angry with them. He's not just giving a prohibition, he's giving us a gospel motivation. A gospel motivation to combat sexual immorality because that's what we need Listen, church, if you're honest with yourself, this is a temptation for, for most people in this room in some way. Uh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, those are temptations that most people face. Single, married, doesn't matter. You're going to face temptations in some form to view sex wrongly. And so instead of just prohibition, Paul gives us a gospel motivation how to look rightly. And he, the first motivation he gives the church is that you matter That's what he's telling them. Essentially, he says, you matter. Your body matters. You as a person, you holistically as a person, you matter. Not just your spirit person, but who you are in your body matters. Your body is important. You matter. The world treats the body as if it doesn't really matter what you do with your body. As long as it feels good, do it. It doesn't doesn't matter as long as it doesn't harm anyone else. We hear that message as if the body doesn't matter, and people act like it doesn't matter if they behave in a promiscuous way. People act like their body is not important. People treat it however they want. But tell that to a teenager struggling with their identity. That the body doesn't matter? Really? Tell it to any adult. <laughs> it feels like a body matters. We, we know inherently because God actually created us as people who have souls and spirits, minds, bodies, he created us all as one, and what we do in, in one part affects the other part. The body matters, but it seems like the church in Corinth probably thought the body doesn't matter. It's not significant. As long as we protect what we believe and our spiritual identity, that's Okay. So we can do whatever we want. We have freedom to do that. And they, it seems like they might have under, misunderstood the idea of Christian freedom to begin with, that, that Christians are free from the law, right? We, we believe that. We believe that Christians are free from the law. We believe that, that we are not having to keep all the ordinances of the law in order to be righteous before God. And so we have freedom to not have to obey all of the dietary laws, and, and we don't have to clean our houses, getting all the leaven out. We don't have to keep the law to be righteous before God. Our, we, our hope is that our faith is solely based on the grace of God and the, the righteousness of Christ. Paul would have taught all those things. He would have taught that you're free in Christ. You're free to, they, they, were, they were hung up on, on whether they could eat meat or where they could do, and Paul says, no, you're free to do all those things. You're free to eat meat, as long as it doesn't cause your brother to stumble. You're, you're, you're free to drink alcohol, as long as it doesn't cause your brother to stumble. You're, you're free and in so many regards. It's lawful, What you eat doesn't defile you. We're not bound by the law, we're freed from the law, but the church in Corinth had misunderstood something. They they thought that being saved by grace was was enabling us to live however we want, not understanding that it enables us to live by grace, to obey God by grace. They were were saying from the quotes, all things are lawful, and if you look down your Bible, some translations have those in quotes. That was a means to selfishly gratify the lust of the flesh, but we're free now not to sin. Before, we, we couldn't be free to not sin. Before, we were only free to sin, and so now we are free, but we're free to live how God designed us originally. We're free to be bound by love, love for God, love for a neighbor, free for all of our actions, to be, to be guided by loving the Lord our God with all our heart, all our mind, our souls, and, and our bodies, everything we are. We're free to show God's love by denying ourselves, by taking up our crosses and, and following Him. But we're not free to live however we want. And there's some good reasons here, because our bodies matter. And anything we give ourselves over to, we, we are, of a sin we give ourselves over to, it's like we're submitting to that sin to enslave us once again. And, and Jesus died to set us free from being enslaved to sin. So when we give ourselves willingly over to a sin, it's as if we're submitting ourselves once again to slavery. And Paul says, look down your Bibles in verse 11, or verse 12, he says, but I will not be enslaved by anything. All things might be lawful, but not all things are good for you. And also, if you're giving yourselves over to sin, you're giving yourselves over to slavery. And then they, they quoted this idea that, well, well, Paul, food's meant for the stomach, and the stomach is meant for food. So what that means is that, you know, we eat food, and, and of course, food, the only reason we have food, that God designed food, was so we could eat it, and the only reason our stomachs are designed is so that it can consume food. And so they were equating that to sex as well and saying, well, well, we have, we have organs, we have, we have genitalia, we have, we have parts that are, that are meant for sex, so it must be that we're designed for that and so we just do what we have desires for. And it doesn't really matter. And Paul says, no, you're, you're fundamentally misunderstanding something. You're misunderstanding the fact that that food is gonna go away and our stomachs actually will be destroyed somehow. I, there, there won't be a need for that, but, but here's what, what won't. Our, your body is gonna last. Your body is meant for eternity. And not only that, look look down in in your Bibles in verse 13. He says, your body, it's it's not designed just for sex. It's actually designed for the Lord. You're saying food is designed for the stomach, and so sex, the body is designed for sex. He says, no, you're misunderstanding things. The, the, The parallel between food being designed for the stomach is that your body was designed for the Lord. That's what he's saying here. Your body is for the Lord. Your body matters. You matters. You were designed not not just so you could procreate, not just for sex, but you were designed for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Your body was designed, and we'll see this later, to be a house, a dwelling place for God. It's part of God's good design that he designed us to have sex. And God intends that for our enjoyment and for our good, but it's only good when when God has intended and and how he has designed it. And by the way, if you're married, we're gonna get to that next week a little bit. Now, if you're married as well, you can read ahead. And I encourage you to read ahead in the Song of Solomon. See the goodness of God's design within the life covenant commitment of marriage. Um, Let's not be prudes and act like sex is bad sex is wonderful in the context of marriage outside of that though it does damage outside of that it does great harm because it's we were designed for that we were designed for the Lord we were designed for him our body is meant for him and the body for the Lord, the Lord for the body what Paul's saying is you flip things around you've gotten it wrong it matters what you you do in your body matters because you matter because your body is designed for God And because the body matters, by the way, it's, it's also a reason why when we do ministry and we proclaim the gospel to people who are in physical need, you want to think about how can we care for those who are in physical need, because the body matters. We need to minister in, in, in word and in deed as well as word, because we value, we respect each other's bodies as made in the image of God for God. But look at the other reason he says that you matter, not just are, is your body made for the Lord. Look in verse 14, he says, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. That's what we are remembering. Every time we take communion, we are remembering that we too, we die with Christ and we're raised to newness of life. We are trusting in the life of Christ. We eat the bread. We trust in the fact that we, we have resurrection life, although we don't see it yet. We have resurrection life. It's a guarantee We have new life in His blood, and we'll be resurrected one day. And that gives a unique respect for the body. The body is important. The very fact that God raised the Lord up bodily was important and significant. He redeemed the creation. He redeems our bodies. And our bodies will be raised up again. And so Paul here, he's giving us some gospel connections that that we will be resurrected. And that is actually a motivation for why we need to abstain from sexual morality because you matter. Your body is important. It's meant for the Lord. You'll be resurrected. And the second reason he gives to believers for saying no to sexual, sexual morality is that we've been made members of the body of Christ. Look down your Bibles in verse 15. You're one with Christ, is what he's telling us. You are one with Christ. Your body matters, you matter, and you're one with Christ. He asked them a rhetorical question. He says, don't you know? Don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ? We're attached to him now. We're a part of Christ in, in, a, in a very spiritual sense we are attached to Christ we're a part of his body Christian as far as you're standing in Christ goes you can't get any closer to Jesus now you might feel far from him relationally you might feel far from him at times you might not you might feel distant but here's the truth you are in Christ you can't get closer to Christ because in Christ you are already as close as you ever will be You're a member of his body. And that's what makes the whole idea of sexual morality so gross is what Paul is saying. And by the way, the reminder we talked about a few weeks ago that, that sexual morality is any kind of sin outside of God's covenant design for sex within a committed relationship of marriage between one man and one woman. It can be broadly applied to any kind of sex, any kind of fornication. And it includes, this whole word of sexual It includes pornography as well. So when we engage in sexual immorality as a Christian, what Paul is saying is you're one with Christ. Why are you joining? It's like you're joining Jesus with with a prostitute. When we engage in sexual immorality as a Christian, it's like we're bringing Jesus along with us. I don't know about you, but that's a motivation. When you're tempted to look at pornography, remember Jesus, you're one with Christ. It's like you're bringing Jesus along with you and say, Jesus, look at this porn. When we engage in sexual morality as a Christian, it's like taking Jesus to a prostitute to be with her. And, and he says, never. The thought of taking Jesus along with us to sexual morality, of defiling him, it's, it's revolting, it's shameful. And, and Paul's saying, that's, that's what it's like. Don't you get that? It's more appalling even for them because in, in Corinth, the, the idea of prostitution, it was very common In Corinth, it was associated, though, with the temple and the worship of false gods. And so when they would go to temple prostitutes, which was an accepted thing for adults in that culture, it it was saying, basically, they were giving themselves over to that false god. And so he says, you're one with Christ. Why are you saying that? Because it's like you're giving Jesus over to a false god. He says, Jesus would never be joined with a false god. So he says, never The Corinthians and the culture around them gave in to the every urge of the flesh. They gave in to whatever felt good. They didn't deny themselves any sexual craving, just like they thought if something looked good to eat, they would eat it. If someone looked good, they would have sex. But they've forgotten that their bodies don't belong to them. They weren't designed for that. They were designed for the Lord and that they've been made one with Christ. They have a union that is unbreakable. They don't need to go searching for satisfaction and, and being one with people They're already one with Christ. They've forgotten that God came, that Jesus came to restore God's good design for mankind. That that God gave us his blueprint for our bodies. And in in verse 24 of Genesis 2, he says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And that's a beautiful thing. It says, the man and his wife, they were both naked and they were not ashamed. There's nothing shameful about sex within the context of marriage. But what he's also saying is don't you know that in God's design, when two people have sexual intercourse, it's, it's they're being joined together. And so when, when you, outside of marriage, do that, it, it's like joining Jesus with a prostitute. As a Christian, casual sex is not casual. Sexual immorality and fornication, pornography, it's not harmless, it's offensive to God. When you, when, you, when you eat food, you're not joined to that hamburger um, in some significant way. You know, I, I enjoy hamburgers, I, I eat them, I, I, I use them, and what's not used turns into waste. It's, it's of no consequence. But what he's saying is there's unique bonding, there's a unique connection that is made in sex, even if you deny that. It's a spiritual act, and we communicate that we're committing to the other person. It communicates that that nothing's gonna come between us, that that we're joined together, and then we accept and embrace them with all that we are, and that there's no shame in this relationship. And so sexual activity outside of marriage, it's a denial of that. It's a lie against the truth. I had a a quote for you that I'll share later with, uh, I'll get that out to you somehow but it, it talks about the fact that we try to deceive ourselves even when we know that's what sex is communicating. We try to ignore it. And if no level of commitment is intended, then, then our bodies are lying to each other and that causes psychological confusion. causes hurt. It's casual sex. It's a fraud. It's a lie. It speaks untruth about who we are. But look in, in verse 17, He says, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him we become Christians, we place our faith in Jesus Christ. We became one with him. Our spirits became one with him. We put our faith in that. That's what our hope is. Our hope is that we're one with Christ, that we're joined with him. And that word for joined, it's a a unique word. It's like a gluing together. It's a cementing together. You were cemented together. Your spirit was cemented together with the spirit of Christ. So don't you know that? So how in the world could we think of joining with somebody else outside of God's good design? So what do we do? What are, what are Christians to do? Well, Paul gives some really practical instruction here. Okay, here's really practical instruction. Look down at verse 18. Flee. That's what he says to do. Flee. Run! Run! Run from, flee from, run away from, get it out as far away from it as you can, as fast as you can. And that is an ongoing verb in the present tense, which means you continually do that. And by the way, in our culture today, you gotta continually flee, right? I I was actually on a a Christian website, Bible website, uh, with different translations and things like that, looking on a Christian website, and they have this ad banner because they don't control what's on their ad banners. And in the ad banner was a sexually immoral ad. It's everywhere. It's, it's all around us. So the, the very air that we breathe in the culture, it's all around us. And Paul says, flee. It doesn't mean leave the world. Don't be around people. The church in Corinth was continually surrounded and inundated by this, this culture of sexual immorality. And Paul's encouragement to them is flee now the other time we've seen somebody fleeing in the bible sexual morality is joseph in the story of, of joseph he was working in, in potiphar's house and and he was being diligent and, and potiphar's wife was coming on to him continuously and, and you, you can just imagine he's trying to avoid her whatever he does and so she sees her in the room he turns around he goes in the other room he does other things but finally one day she comes on to him and and no one else is around and and he says no and he tries to go away and she grabs his cloak but he, he flees That's the very picture that that word to do, were to flee. Society today says give into it, give into whatever you desire, because what you desire defines you. God says, no, flee it. Sex has become common practice in schools of visit, no big deal. Living with people before marriage is it's encouraged by the world, it's in our entertainment, it's Sexes and songs or videos and and the internet, TV and movies, it's all around us. We're inundated with fornication and promotion of those things as good. But here's the thing. God actually wants what's really good for us. That's not what we're designed for. It's It's not good for us. It robs us of joy in him. It robs us of the pleasures that God intends for us. It's everywhere. It's on your phones. It's on advertisements. And let's be real, sexual attraction and, and sexual arousal, they're really powerful forces. And they can feel overwhelming at times, can't they? If you give in the temptation, it, become a, it can become an addiction that's hard to break free from. And, and that, that can become like a prison and it can lead to guilt and shame and condemnation and myriads of struggles in the Christian walk. And God says, I, don't want, you to be, I want you to be free from that, flee that. I want you to be truly free. You think your freedom is for freedom to have sex with everyone? And God says, no. I want you to really be free because actually you're enslaving yourself. Be free. He doesn't say embrace it, tolerate it, coddle it, ignore it. He says flee. And he gives the reason why he says the relationship of sexual morality is unique because our sex is unique with our bodies. Our emotions, our, our memories, our senses, our bodies, they're affected in a unique way. We can be forgiven, we can be made clean. We can be healed, but you know, some of those effects endure until we're resurrected and healed. Leon Morris puts it, he says, other sins, I think we have this quote up there. Leon Morris says, other sins may have effects on the body, but this sin and this sin only means that a man takes that body that is a member of Christ and puts it into a union which blasts his own body. Other sins against the body, e.g. drunkenness or gluttony, involve the use of what comes from outside of the body. The sexual appetite arises from within. They serve other purposes, e.g. conviviality, but this has no purpose other than the gratification of the lust. They are sinful in the excess. This is sinful in itself. And fornication involves a man in what Godet calls a degrading physical solidarity, incompatible with the believer's spiritual solidarity with Christ. The sexual sinner sins against his own body. Body's important. It's sacred. It has to do with who we are. It speaks to how we view others made in the image of God. So he tells us to flee, flee with our eyes, flee with our bodies. And third reason for, for saying no to sexual immorality, third motivation that Paul gives us is that you're a temple. You are a temple. You matter. Your body matters. You're one with Christ. Both of those are good news. Here's another good news. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. That God would not be distant from us, that God would not be far from us, but that he would come to us and make his dwelling place not only with us, but in us. That's astounding. We have the maker of the universe sending his very spirit to be with us. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit, and and, and all the things that go with that what we need to think of when we think of our bodies, our bodies, our temples, they're a place to worship God and where others may see God worship and where we can bring others to see the worship of God. It's a dwelling place. And this word for temple, it's, it's the holy place and the holy of holies. It's sacred. He says, that's what you are. You're a temple. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies aren't just designed for sex. Your bodies are designed for worship. Everything you do is, is designed to worship God, and, and your bodies have a higher purpose. They, they have a purpose of, of having the Holy Spirit of God inhabit us, be with us. A holy place reserved for God, those who've been made clean, where God's very presence dwells. Whenever you're tempted in this area of sexual immorality or fornication, pornography, however you want to look at this, or viewing sex wrongly, giving into sexual desires that are not what God designed Remember, you matter. You're one with Christ. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. You're, you're the very embodiment of the place where God is pleased to dwell with mankind. We're meant to communicate that presence of God to others. The fourth motivation that Paul gives for saying no to sexual morality is that you were bought And that's what we celebrated this morning in communion as well. You were bought with a price. There was a price, as Aaron drew our attention to. There is a price that needs to be paid because we are all enslaved to sin. We are all deserving God's wrath and his punishment for sin. But here's the really good news, Christian. You were bought. You were bought with a price. You were bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You were bought with him giving his own body for us. You were bought with a price. But here's the thing about being bought. You see, in in the church, when in Corinth, they would go and they would buy prostitutes for a period of time. He says, you weren't bought like that. You were bought with a costly price. You were bought with the life of the Son of God who who gave himself for you. You were bought with a price. And their payment would secure rights to a body. He's saying... You were bought by God, by Christ, and he secured the rights to your body. You don't belong to yourself, is what he's saying. You don't belong to yourself. And that's so that you can be free to live for him. You can be free from sin. You're no longer a slave. So the, in humanity it's, humanity, is in slavery. You're either enslaved to sin or slaves to righteousness. You're either owned and dominated by the devil and, and sin. Or you're owned by God. There's, there's only two categories. There's no in between. He says, You're bought. Now, God owns you. you. You don't belong to yourself anymore. Now, that's good news because what it means is that we're not, we don't have to obey this old master of sin. We don't have to give in to sin. We don't get into the devil anymore. We don't have to do that because he doesn't own us. And so, rightly, we can say no to the devil. We can say no to sin because he doesn't own us. We say, No, you have no authority over me. You, you, don't, you don't control what I do. God does. I belong to a good master. I belong to someone who is for my good, who actually wants what is best for me, who only wants what is good for me. We're no longer enslaved to sins or sinful desires, but now we're free to not sin. Our ownership's been transferred. We belong to him. We serve him now. Instead of saying, my body, my right, we can say, not our rights. We're his body. We live by what he says is right. We're free to love God because Christ died for us. Don't you know that you were bought with a price? And would you spurn that price as if it was worthless and say, Jesus, that was nice of you to die for me, but I'm gonna go over here and indulge in other things and take lightly his sacrifice. I'm gonna act like I don't belong to you and I'm gonna submit again to this old master. son of god loved us so much that he humbled himself he became a man he lived his life as a sacrifice then he sacrificed his life on the cross for us he did that to purchase us out of slavery to redeem us to to take us into his kingdom of light out of the kingdom of darkness to rescue us from ownership of the devil he says you were bought the price why would you why would you act like you're not And let's go back again to verse 11 of of chapter 6, right before this passage. He writes of all kinds of sins, everything from not just sexual morality and greed and idolatry. And then he says, and such were some of you, but you were washed Maybe this morning you're struggling because you're aware of sexual sins in your past or or you're currently engaged in those things thinking, how can I be clean? He says, says, there's hope here. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God, no matter what sins you're guilty of in the past, no matter how recent, there's hope, there's forgiveness, there's not condemnation. You can be washed clean. This This isn't the biggest sin in the Christian walk. Not only have you been, if you're a Christian, have you been sanctified, made holy, you can be once again forgiven. No matter how deep your sin is, there's no condemnation. When you and I walk in the light, we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to to forgive us of our sins and to make us clean. Now we have a paid for freedom. You know, sexual immorality, it's permeated our thinking. When I was younger, it, it permeated my thinking. Christians can can use all kinds of excuses even. They can say that what we do with our bodies doesn't matter because what's spiritual matters, they can say that, well, God doesn't doesn't really care so long as we love each other and what's loving is mattered, but really it's not loving to take something so personal from somebody else outside of a lifelong commitment to them. Other claim, like, it's, it's no big deal because God's gonna forgive me, but taking the forgiveness of the Lord lightly means that you may not be forgiven in the first place but you matter. That's what Paul tells us. He doesn't just say stop sinning. He says you matter. What you do in the body matters because your body was designed for the Lord. Your body's gonna be resurrected. You're one with Christ. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. You've been bought with a price and now the primary motive for us is to to live in our body to glorify God now where before we never could. Now we actually can take steps to live as members of a new creation to bring glory to God through how we conduct our physical bodies and then we can be a temple and proclaim the good news to other people through how we live differently. We can, we can declare liberty to those who are captive to sexual immorality. What a privilege. We can do this. We can glorify God in our body where once we couldn't. And we do this because we hope in him because we're one with him, because he's gonna resurrect us, because he's, he's given us his Holy Spirit, he's bought us with a price, he's freed us. So let's be committed, church, to living this way, amen? Let's pray. And if the band will come up and, and we'll close the song. God, thank you for addressing the church, addressing us with hard topics, but addressing it in a real way, directly but thank you God that you don't do this to give condemnation but you do this to give us freedom thank you that you intend to set us free and God I pray for for anyone here who is enslaved to sexual immorality whether that's pardon me fornication or whether that is pornography homosexuality whatever that might be Lord I pray that you would free us free anyone here who's caught in sin Lord, would you extend your grace, your mercy, and bring true freedom to love you, to to please you, to live for you, to glorify you, and to experience true joy in in living for you in our bodies. And and Lord, help each and every one of us, Lord, flee these temptations. And help us love you with all that we are. Help us worship you with all that we are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please stand let's sing.